Hello, I'm your host of Humanity Matters Most, George Sanders. We're here with prominent researchers from the College of Liberal Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Houston to bring you personal, behind-the-scenes look at the research they've done to explore the world and people around us. On this episode, we have Associate Dean Dr. Carla Sharp interviewing Dr. Zavia Karner about her recent book, Making a Scene, How Visionary Individuals Created an International Photography Scene in Houston, Texas. I'm Dr. Carla Sharp, and I am really pleased to be here today with Dr. Zafia Karner, who's a professor in the sociology department. Zafia, you are going to talk to us about a brand new book that has just come out in January of 2023. Zafia, do you want to tell us the title of the book that has just come out? Sure, Carla. I'm, I'm happy to be here having a conversation with you. This is fun. My book is titled Making a Scene and it's about the photography community in Houston, Texas. Fantastic, fantastic. Tell me a little bit more about the book. What, what are you doing in there? Well, the book really charts or documents this amazing community that we've developed here in Houston. Yeah. I do go through the background of photography in Houston, starting back in the turn of the century, the last century, with uh, daguerreotype artists that came to town, et cetera, to set the scene. But also, it, the story really begins in the mid-1970s. Ann Tucker came to Houston, and was her first job, ironically, was to teach history of photography here at the University of Houston in the art department. The art department here had just hired George Bunker to come and fix and elevate the art department, and he decided he wanted to have a program in photography. So art photography was kind of new in the world at that time, and so Anne came and got a part-time job there and eventually was hired at the museum and became the founding curator of the photography department at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. So the story really starts with her, how she got here and tried to build a community around photography. And a number of other people came and developed it as well, but I guess the other thing that I'll mention at this point is PhotoFest, which is an international photography okay. festival that happens every two years here in Houston and was the first in the United States and one of the largest in the world for several years. It now has a little competition, but nonetheless. And that was started with Fred Baldwin and Wendy Watrous, two photojournalists who moved to town in 1980, and Petra Bentler, who had opened the first photography gallery in the United States that focus specifically on European photography. So we had a lot of firsts and amazing things in photography that started here in the 1970s. And then these individuals built on that to make an international destination for photography. If you want to succeed as an art photographer, you need to connect in Houston. Wow. We are the place for photography, as I quote from one of the individuals in my book. Wow. And I read in Paper City that um, several people have thought that it, Houston is an unlikely place for this to happen. Why is that? Well, if you think about art, traditionally in the United States, you think about New York City, yeah. very famous for all the galleries, et cetera, and collectors and museums. And the other coast, um, LA and San Francisco are big art hubs. But this third coast down in the Gulf where we are is not generally on people's radar, even though we have a fabulous art community that extends well beyond photography. And in the 70s, 
Houston was smaller, sleepier, and more provincial, some people have said. I wasn't here, so it's all history to me. So what made you want to do this? You know, how did you come to decide this is the project and this is the book that you want to write next? Oh, a question asked like an an academic. We are always like, what are we going to do next? What's the next thing that we want to spend the next zillion years doing? Because it always takes much longer than we think. So I started participating in the photo community here and got to know people and was kind of amazed, honestly, that there was so much energy and excitement and so much amazing work that was happening here. Then the kind of visionaries, Ann Tucker with the museum and Wendy and Fred at PhotoFest started talking about retiring. And I thought, oh my gosh, if somebody doesn't document this before um, some of the main people leave the scene, all of this oral history could be lost. So I started interviewing immediately and I was lucky enough to be able to interview Clint Willauer, who was a very important person in all the arts in Houston. He actually gave money toward or gave individual pieces of art to the Museum of Fine Arts Houston than anybody else, to my knowledge. And definitely highest number of photographs, which is also kind of cool. So I got to to talk with him before he passed. And then Petra Bentler, the University of Houston, actually gave me a wonderful travel grant. So I got to go to Germany and interview her in her home in Bavaria and spent three days with her going through her memories. She had kept all of her press clippings of her time in Houston. So you could tell this was a really important part of her life for her. So that was wonderful to get to go. And then she passed like a year later too. So, you know, if I'd waited another year to start this, those stories at least would have been lost. So I think my timing was good and I was fascinated. I guess a little, if I got sidetracked, I grew up in a family that traveled a lot. My father was in aerospace, and so I used to joke that we would move every year or two, whether we needed to or not. But basically for the job, we would be moved around to wherever, whatever contract needed my dad's skills. So I lived about 20 places before I was 18, which means you're always fascinated by the communities you move into. You're always the new kid trying to figure things out. How does this work? Who are the people that have interests like me, where am I going to fit, all of this. So I have that kind of innate um, interest in community, which I often joke that I was probably a sociologist before I even knew the word, given my my personal background. Um, And so, of course, being in Houston, I discovered the photography community maybe three to four years after I moved here. And again, the new kid, curious, went to everything, started meeting people, and just from my experience, found it to be a very unique and amazing situation here. So I was kind of blown away. And then, sorry, I keep going on. No, please do, please do. (laughs) But then I thought, okay, this is my only experience of an art world. So is it really unique or is it just unique to me? So I started traveling to festivals around the world. I went to the one in Buenos Aires. I went to the one in Arles a couple times, which is the oldest in the world. Went to a couple others that I'm blanking on at this minute. But I wanted to try and get a sense of how Houston fit in this broader context. And they all raved about Houston, like Houston was the model for what they were doing. So 
I decided I was right, that this is a fabulous and amazing community. That's a fabulous photography scene that we have here in Houston. I'm curious now, of course, I'm a psychologist, so I'm curious to know, was the introduction to the photography community in Houston sort of an accident? Or did you have an interest in photography to start off with? Oh, very good question. I have been participating in the International Visual Sociology Association for ah. years. So I've always had an interest in photography. That okay. was the first job I ever wanted as a kid was to be a photojournalist, but life went a different way. So yes, I had a longstanding interest in photography and I happened to sit next to somebody on a plane wow. who told me about PhotoFest. Wow. And I thought, I have to figure this out. I love that because I think people underestimate in academia how often things happen by accident in the right place at the right time and, and it sort of expands your mind in, in particular ways. Of course, you have to be ready to take it up and have the skills and the, the background to take it further. But that is that is super interesting. So I'm curious about this area of sociology then can you expand on that because I've not you know in my mind sociology is something different than visual you know making use of visual material can you talk to us a little bit about that oh absolutely I personally find visual sociology to be one of the most exciting parts of sociology so of course I'm probably biased but nonetheless so visual sociology is focused on visual images and it usually takes the method component of it is either using photographs that are found to study or subject created images so you might have a project where you go to a certain group that you're looking at and say would you please take photographs of the person that means the most to you who's the person you trust for advice Where do you like to spend time? What's your favorite place? Are different things to have them create a visual narrative for you. So that can supplement an interview, or you might just want to focus on the visual images that they, but usually there's a debriefing or a photo elicitation interview that happens with that. The other thing is to use your camera, either moving or still images, to actually capture a social process. So there's one really wonderful book that I'll use for an example called Working by Douglas Harper. And he found an old tradesman who worked with his hands and he just photographed the process of how he went about using materials, using his equipment to create things. So, and it's a lost art, this working by hand in many ways. So it was a documentation of that. Aerial views of how landscapes change. And so you do a re-photographic project. So a number of people have gone back and tried to recreate the farm administration, farm security, FSA. The FSA from the the Great Depression and tried to recreate those images to study how things have changed. Jerry Crese in Brooklyn has studied ethnic neighborhoods to watch how as different ethnic groups move into the neighborhood, the 
decor of the fronts of the buildings change. Yeah. You know, you have, you know, this kind of uh, tile if it's the Italians yes. versus this if it's the new Arab immigrants that come in. And so he's kind of documented different aspects of Brooklyn for decades now. And it's a fascinating collaborative. In short, it's focused on using images as a research method. Yes. Um, very systematically. And they can be found, they can be created by your subject or created by the researcher. Okay. And of course, it makes my mind go to, okay, so I, I hear a little bit of art, you know, because artists do that too. I hear a bit of journalism because journalists do that too. And, and obviously, this is a subfield of sociology. Where, where do they intersect and how do they differ? Oh, my. Well, I would say you're right that the boundaries blur at times. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The one thing that I'll say about visual sociology is that it relies on primarily ethnographic or qualitative sociology methods. So it's a bit more structured and has that kind of a backing and underpinning. Okay, and for our listeners that don't know what ethnographic means, what does that mean? Oh, ethnographic is the most fun and, well, I love to interview, but I also like ethnographic is... You know, to put it in slang, it's hanging out with a group and watching and listening and learning and talking informally with them to kind of get a sense of things. The hard part of ethnographic work is writing up your field notes. So after you've spent the time, you have to go and document in what we call thick description. So you want as descriptive text to document your experience and what you learned and saw. And then you use your field notes to actually analyze it. So it sounds very different to me from a sort of quantitative approach, which really blends the individual's lived experience. This is really shining a light on the the phenomenology of a person's lived lived experience, which is amazing, because otherwise, well, you use the word deep, you know, it's a sort of a deep dive into experience rather than the sort of superficial experience that we'll get through questionnaire-based measures. Right. Um, I think one way to distinguish it is that almost all methods are reductive at some point. Mm. And a quantitative approach often is reductive before you even ask the question. It's been reduced to variables, specific, strongly agree to strongly disagree. Whereas qualitative, it's reduced later when you're representing. So you have all of the breadth and the complications and messiness of the data that doesn't actually get kind of congealed into results or findings until you actually write up the final paper or book. Okay, amazing, amazing. I've got one more question about the method. So if a listener goes out and buys your book, I assume there's a lot of photographs in the book. Yes and no. I'd say there are maybe between 30 and 40. I didn't count. And they're mostly historical in a sense. So it was really fun going through the archives. The Menil collection allowed me to use several of theirs because the Menils, of course, were very important in building art in Houston, as well as they are actually the ones who hired the first professor, Jeff Winningham, at the Media Center to teach the very first university-level class in art photography. So without them starting, who knows? So they were fun. They let me have um, used some of their images. Paul Hester, who was one of the founders, the first president of Houston Center for Photography, um, allowed me to use some of his images from the time, and they're just fabulous. So the list is long of generous photographers that allowed some of their work to be included in the book, and I'm so grateful because, as you mentioned, the photographs really kind of 
make the story alive in a different way. Yeah, I can imagine that. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that. Now, the other word that has come up quite a bit, and in this podcast series, we're very interested in that, is the word community. So, you know, you've been talking about how sociology is often concerned with community. I'm also interested in in your thoughts about what the impact of your work may be or how it is relevant for the Houston community, you know, probably going back or going forward into time. Oh, that's what we always wrestle with as academics, isn't it? Will there be an impact? Will anybody care if I spent all this time writing this book? And I'm delighted to say that there has been more community interest in this book than anything else I've I've ever written. So that's super gratifying to have people care and want to read your work, not just those graduate students that get assigned it in a class. I would say it documents an amazing time and an amazing process. And I think that helps the community reflect upon itself in a way to see, yes, we did this amazing thing. But I also think it has a wider kind of possibility in the sense that if you live someplace and you want to create an art world and you wonder how to create a photography scene or any kind of scene, actually, the lessons of this story are about making a scene, a place that people want to come together and build something together. And I think that looking at the Houston story has a lot of really good ideas and lessons for people that might want to do that in the future. Yeah, that's lovely. That's lovely. So, you know, I'm I'm also thinking about Houston. I came here 20 years ago now. Um, I was in England, but I'm originally South African. The fact that Houston is often, and Houston community is often seen as a, as a sort of underdog community. Um, so I imagine that um, shining a light on this very rich history in Houston, uh, at least from the f- photography angle, uh, is very important. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the feedback you've been getting from people? People have been really impressed, and I've been surprised that people who were part of the process have said, oh, I learned so much. It's so funny that, you know, when you're living your life, you know your life. You don't know what Clint is doing over here or Petra is doing over there or or the backstory, like why Frank had money to do what he did. You know, I mean, there are different kind of stories that I was able to put together that kind of flesh out. So I think that's been the most gratifying is people who were in the middle, like Anne and Wynne. I mean, Fred has passed. I was another person that I would have missed if I didn't start earlier. Um, have said they learned so much by reading the book. And that's just fascinating to me. So the response has been positive. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and I'm coming back to the sociologist's role in this because what you did was to organize it. You, you What you did was to sort of see it from the outside in rather than from the inside out. And and, and I can imagine that that's a very new, uh, new view for someone, even someone who's been inside of it all. So I have to ask you, um, how will this inform the next project? Or are you still thinking about that? Or another way of putting this question is, how does this fit into your other work and your trajectory? I think it would be helpful, especially for students who want to go and study sociology to understand that academic process that we go through in our careers. Mm -hmm. You talk a little bit about how this fits in and and where where you see the future going. Well, I think I'll sidetrack a minute to answer that. I think the wonderful thing about sociology, which is why I chose it to actually do professionally instead of just informally, is that anything to do with people 
falls under our rubric. And so I have had the great fortune of building a career by being curious. If it has to do with people and I'm curious, that can become a project. So, you know, I told you a little bit about visual sociology that I've been active in and written about before finding this project. But this project stretched me in a way. I got to do archival work, which I had not done at this depth before. So that was great fun. And I learned a lot too in the process because I didn't even know that there was a whole sociology of scene making until I started looking for it. And I think that's my next project. I've just returned from a research project in Tasmania. Oh. And I started thinking about this project, this new project, a couple of years ago when I was in Armenia with Stella Gregorian, who introduced me to the wine industry there. And then I also went to Republic of Georgia to look at it there. But I've decided Tasmania is probably where I'm going to focus now because they are using wine, a new wine industry as a place-making opportunity. So here in Houston, we use photography to create a scene, but they're doing fabulous high-end premium wines Mm -hmm. in these Mm -hmm. boutique wineries there. And I was just fascinated. Like it's another community that has sprung up in a way and made the best. I mean, they started because Tasmania used to be all apple orchards. But when Britain joined the EU, they could no longer import apples from Australia. So the industry died and then they had to rethink. So they started planting vines and now they're making fabulous wine. And so I think looking at how visionary individuals who have planted vineyards and had an idea that this could be are creating this whole place. They're using wine as placemaking in a sense. So I think that might be my next project. I just need to write a grant so I can get to Tasmania again for the longer time for more interviews. Sounds like I would like to come with you. Oh, you should. (laughs) Yeah, from South Africa. You would know about wine. Wine is wonderful. But it also makes me think listening to you, you know, um, and, and I guess this is the question, why is it that there is this human urge to make a scene or to, you know, because it seems like if we pull through a theme then in your work, it, it is how do people get together to create something new? And, and I'm wondering, what does that tell us about the human condition? And how does that help us understand, you know, what do people, what do humans do to survive, really, psychologically, I guess? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I don't know if you saw the recent article, I think it was the Times or the Washington Post about loneliness is an epidemic. Yeah. And yeah. I think scene making or place making yeah. is a natural antidote. I mean, as human beings, we want to be around people that we share interests with or we enjoy being with. And gathering together around a shared interest is a way of creating community. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, so I think it's the antidote. We just, I, I jokingly at the end of the, the Museum of Fine Arts Houston was generous enough to host the book launch for this. Yes. And at the end, they asked me what was the takeaway. And I think the takeaway is have more events where you bring people together because that's where, like the woman on the plane with me and and PhotoFest, that's how synergy and magic happens. You have to bring people together. But it has to be strategic around a shared interest, you know. You can't just bring people into a room and hope. But the people that you're standing in line at the buffet could be the most important conversation you have. Yeah. 
yes. rather than the lecture. Yeah. But you have to bring people into yeah. the room. So, so chance does play a role, but it's not quite random. Exactly. Well, Zafia, this has just been such a pleasure. I've known you for, for some time, um, but not had the opportunity to talk with you about your work. And it's just absolutely fascinating and I think says something really poignant about our human desire to connect and to to build something meaningful around something that matters for a particular group of people. And in the end, it doesn't really matter what that is, as long as it has meaning for people, bring them together, organize them and, and leave some kind of legacy. Mm-hmm. Nice yeah. summary. Yeah. Well done. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank These have you. been great questions. Thank you. This episode has been brought to you by the College of Liberal Arts and Social Sciences, as well as the Department of Sociology. We would also like to thank the Jack J. Valenti School of Communication at the University of Houston for their assistance. Our team consists of the producer, sound engineer, and host, George Sanders, producer, Lariah Smith, graphic artist, Nikita Green, and our intro and outro song is provided by Dizzy Gold. If you would like to know more about our podcast, you can find more information at www.uh.edu forward slash class.